0: The church at Ephesus is truly an interesting church. We read about it in many different circumstances as found in the New Testament. For example, we read of the establishment of it in the book of Acts. And then we find a letter to them, divinely inspired by the Apostle Paul in the Ephesian letter. And finally, John's letter to them in Revelation chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7, where it is recorded there that the Lord recognized the fact that they had labored The Lord recognized the fact that they were patient and how they could not bear those that were evil and even stood against them that would say that they were apostles and were not. The Lord even recognized that they had not fainted. They had not compromised one iota. And yet the Lord had this to say of them. He said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. He tells them to remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else he would come unto them quickly and would remove their candlestick out of his place unless they repent. You see, they had left their first love and they had gone through the motions of service from a legal standpoint only and their labor ceased being what it was supposed to be and that is a labor of love, as Paul mentions to those in Thessalonica, In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. For a little while this morning, I want to discuss with you how it is that we can avoid losing our first love and how it is that we can all supply our part. First of all, as I mentioned briefly in passing in our introduction, I said, we must recognize and remember that each and every member of the Lord's church is important equally. I don't know about you, but... I think that's great. I think it's a wonderful concept to to realize and to see that in a world where we have pecking orders, in a world we have ranking systems, in a world we have people that are more powerful than others, more important than others, that among those that are members of the body of Christ, each and every member is important equally and all are necessary. There's a work for each and every one of us regardless of our abilities. All Are needed let me just say this though God does not have a specific will for one person that he does not have for another person for example let me just say it like this isn't it true or I'll just back up I knew a doctor one time that was telling us his life story and what he said is he said that he's lived his entire life and every decision that he made he would sit back and he would pray and God would direct him in the way that he would go. For example, he used to say to the Lord in a prayer, if you want me to turn this way, make me turn that way. If you want me to turn that way, make me turn in that direction. But you know, God never imparts his will on us to the degree that he removes the freedom of choice and the determined will of man. You know, God did not... Grab me by the back of the neck one day and say, you are going to be a preacher. You are going to be an evangelist. What God does is, is God blesses us with ability. He blesses us all with talents, and our talents are different. Our abilities are different. But he doesn't have a specific will for me that's separate from Bob Smith or Terry Osborne or anyone else what god requires of me he requires of you whether you're a man or a woman and that is he requires that we will serve him with every fiber of our being with the talents that he's blessed us with we'll serve him with all that we have all the days of our life that's what god requires from each and every one of us you know, that's what God requires from someone that's been a member of the Lord's church for 50 years. And it's also required for, from a person that's been a member of the church for five minutes. Now, that's a babe in Christ. And when we talk about somebody that's newly converted, we are talking about someone that is a babe in Christ, just like a little baby comes out of the womb. We know that. But what God re- uh, requires from that person is the same thing that he requires from someone that's been a member of the church all of their life, and that is to serve him with everything they can to the best of their ability. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 22 there, the Bible says, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. What I'm talking about is, you remember last, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I wanted to make a point here, I mentioned in the introduction that we talked about evangelism a couple of weeks ago. This sermon is not about evangelism. This is something that's different. This is something that every person can do that's under the sound of my voice right now. And you can do it from the very time that you obey the gospel all the way to to living uh, in the gospel all of your life. Things that we can do. Specific things that we can do to help in a work. The point of these verses is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is every member though is equally important and no one is insignificant in any way. You know, Paul describes this idea and proves this out when he describes the body of Christ being like the human body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, notice a few verses that are found there, beginning there in verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set, in, uh, set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they uh, were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We are all important. You know, one of the things that we need to do in working together is we need to know each other. You know, in verse 25 and 26 of this same chapter, the Bible says that there be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for the other. And whether one member suffers, all members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. You know, there is no way, there is no way that we can be there for each other if we don't know each other. There is no way that we can come to the aid of someone that's hurting or struggling if we don't know who they are. And we will never know who they are without spending time with each other. Do you remember when we talked about evangelism, we talked about how imperative it is to establish relationships with people that are in the world or we will not have, we will not have any influence or impact in their life in converting them. That's all true. But the greatest relationships that we need to have are with each other. You know, there, I hear stories of days gone by. I remember a preacher a couple years ago at the preacher study, his topic was talking about church history and and the history of the church uh, in the state of California and so forth. And he was talking about how in the days that were before mine, the generation prior to me, and how people spent so much time with one another. Maybe it was because he said that people didn't have any money. They didn't have anything to do. So what they did is they got together and they spent time with each other. That's why so many people went to gospel meetings. There was nothing else that they could afford to do. And he got up and he said, you know what we used to do when we had nothing else to do? We would get together and we would sing. That was our entertainment, he said. We spent time together. I'll tell you something, folks. We can't help each other if we don't know what our problems are, if we don't know each other. You know what's sad is sometimes there are people that are on the fringes and they're struggling, and yet we don't know that they're struggling. But the Apostle Paul would describe it like this. He says, When one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. Then in verse 27, he gives the reason for this care one for the other when he said, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. The next point is we need to consider each other to provoke unto love and good works. You know, the word provoke is oftentimes used in a negative sense. For example, you might say, well, he provoked me into an argument. He provoked me. It was his fault. I know I said the wrong things to him, but it was his fault because after all, either by his words or his actions, he provoked me. And most of the time, we use the word provoke in a negative sense. But in Hebrews chapter 10, You know, we always talk about Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 regarding forsaking the assembling. And it's true, it's true that Hebrews 10, 25 means that we need to make certain that when we we will assemble with the Lord's church. That when we go out of town, every decision that we make, every decision that we make on where we're going to be is, I'm going to get the directory out and find out where am I going to be on the Lord's day. You know why? Because our whole life surrounds our service, and the Lord has commanded we cannot forsake the assembly in the bare minimum of the Lord's Day morning. We must assemble like we assemble here today. But look at verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You know what that's saying? You know what the word provoke means? It means to stimulate or induce. You know what Paul, which I believe is the writer of Hebrews, is saying? He's saying to me that I need to do something to provoke, stimulate, encourage, whatever it might be, or induce you to good works and you to me. That sounds like a, an assignment for us to do. Work is involved and time is involved. Next we must realize that we are members one of the other in Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 where Paul says so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members of another. I am a member of you or part of you and you are a part of me. And because of that the Bible says that we love one another in John chapter 13 beginning in verse 34 the Bible says a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved Loved you and that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, we cannot be the disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ without having this kind of love for one another. One more point, and I'm going to sum up what we've talked about so far. And when we do that, and because of our love, one for the other, we help each other. In Galatians chapter six and verse 10, Paul says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So what did Paul say? Paul says all are necessary. He says that we must know each other. And then when we know each other, then what are we going to do? We are going to induce them. We are going to entice them. We are going to stimulate them to good works, considering them. Then we're going to realize that we are members one of the other, working together. When that happens, we're going to have love one toward the other. And finally, if we're going to have this kind of a relationship, we're going to be right there side by side and shoulder to shoulder to Help one another get to heaven. Each member can supply something to make the church strong. God said certain in the early church in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 that we read in your hearing. Where it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now there was a time when the Apostles were the ones who brought the Word to the world. There were those Apostles that were those that were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they became walking Bibles and they were able to bring God's Word to man. We know though that all of those things that happened back then, Apostles, Prophets, miracles, spiritual gifts, and all of that, all of those things were for a time before the inspired written Word was completed. But that which is perfect has come, and therefore, we don't have apostles today. We don't have prophets today. We don't have miracles today, miraculous measures of the Holy Spirit, and spiritual gifts that were passed down through the laying on of the apostles' hands to confirm the word of God that was revealed to the people. But We have this book. We have God's word, God's will toward man. And this is done to enable the church as it guides us today as the Lord desires. Beginning in verse 12 of Ephesians 4. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. The saints will be perfected, equipped, and trained for what? What are we trained for? We are equipped and trained for a life of service. Now that doesn't sound very much like fun in the world. A life of service. How many times have you talked to someone and they talk about all the things they were not getting from whatever church they were going to? People talk about they're not being entertained. The world is filled with entertainment. And entertainment has gone into the religious business too to get people to come and live whatever kind of life they want to live and still have some sort of semblance of God in their life or some relationship with the Lord. And yet, these things are to equip us for a life of service. Our life is to serve God and also serve our fellow man. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, when there was a lawyer and that lawyer came to Jesus, And the lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what sayest the law, and how readest thou? And the lawyer says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, thou sayest well, he says, do this and thou shalt live. Now, I'm not going to go into the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm just going to talk about one aspect of what happened there in that narrative. Of all the questions that this lawyer could have asked, he didn't have a problem with the concept of loving God with all of his heart. He didn't have a problem with the idea of loving God with all of his mind and all of his strength and all of his soul. He didn't have a problem with that concept. What he wasn't understanding is, he wasn't understanding that the next part also demonstrates how we love God and how we serve God, and that is how we serve our fellow man. So this is what he says. He says, well, who then is my neighbor? You know, Webster defines neighbor as a nigh-dweller, somebody that lives close by. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus just describes a certain man, meaning this, anybody. We're responsible for helping anybody that we have the ability and the opportunity to. We serve God today by the way that we serve each other. Let me just say this, too. When God's people get their feet in motion, when we get a work going, you know, I've been talking about momentum for the last few weeks. And it's true, momentum is a very powerful thing. Momentum is something that once it gets going, it's easier to keep it going. Sometimes the hardest thing to do in any aspect of life, in a work or whatever you're doing, is to get it started. Sometimes all we need is just somebody to stand behind it and push it so we can all just get moving and get started. I was talking to Daryl the other day about how, how impressed I am with the congregation here. Where everyone that I know, and I know you well, we have history together. We go way back. We know each other better than a lot of times a preacher can know a congregation when he just moves into a town that he's never been in. So we know each other. That's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. One of the things that I have always noticed about these brethren, all of you right here, is your, your ability and your willingness to do whatever it is that's needed. I can't tell you how many people in the last couple weeks, and it's not the first time I heard it, what can I do to help? Or people being excited about inviting people over to their house and spending time with them. Spending time with the people of God. But you know why we have to pull together? Do you know why that it's imperative that we work side by side and pull together? Do you remember what Jesus said about that? I'm going to say this so that we don't get discouraged. Because I'm going to tell you something, there's something going to happen when we get working. And we are going to get working, and we have been working, and we're doing it right now. But I'm going to tell you something, you can count on something happening negative against the work. You know what Jesus said? Jesus, in the parable of the tares, he describes that the enemy goes in fields that are not his. And he sows also the tares. When God's people get moving, the devil does too, in a field that is not his. And if the devil can get us to be opposed to one another, if the devil can get us to be at odds with one another, if the devil can figure out a way that we're going to backbite each other and snip at each other and cause hurt to one another, if, they can do that, if the devil can do that on the Lord's ground, he can destroy the work of the church. That's why we have to pull together. What does that mean then? Grow discouraged? No, just realize what's happening. And when those things happen around us and these peripheral issues are happening around us and the devil's working, just recognize what it is. It's the devil. So what are we going to do? We're going to be closer than we've ever been before. We're going to love each other more than we ever have in days gone by. We're going to grow together and be stronger together than we've ever been. We're going to study our Bibles. Ryan prays about studying your Bible every time he prays. We're going to study our Bibles more than we ever have and get more knowledge than we've ever had in days gone by. We're going to pray to God, too. We're going to wear our knees out praying to God for what? For wisdom. So that God's going to help us in handling whatever endeavor is before us. Handling any obstacle that comes our way. And the work will survive. And it will thrive. And it will be the kind that the Lord talks about that produces a hundredfold. If we pull together. If we stay together. If we work together. When we do this. The church is going to be edified. We are going to grow in number. We are going to grow in spiritual strength. This working would continue even though that they, we no longer have apostles because that's been replaced by the written word. Every member is going to provide something to the strength of the church. In Ephesians 4 and 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Get that. Every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The whole body is fitly joined together. According to this passage, this joined together is compacted by everyone supplying something. Thirdly, this will work effectually. Fourthly, the body is going to grow and be edified. Number five, this growth comes because of what every single member is doing. Let me talk about some things that every member can supply. Number one, we can all supply Financial aid to the work. On the Lord's Day, when we come together, one of the aspects or one of the items of worship is the contribution. And the Bible tells us that we lay by Him in store as God hath prospered us. First Corinthians 16, one and 2 says, Now concerning the collection of the saints as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by Him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, Paul says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he had purposed in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or out of necessity, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You know what happens though sometimes? Isn't it true that sometimes the Lord just gets the rest? That the Lord just gets what's left over? You remember when Jesus spoke about the widow, when she gave the two mites? It was greater than all the others that were giving, and the amount was so small. And the Lord said she gave more because she gave all she had. Sometimes we allow the Lord to be an afterthought in our life, and it's manifested in the contribution. You know, when we give of our means, the gospel and a work is furthered. I quote from the book of Philippians quite often, but I want to notice another passage in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 16 and 17. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once again unto my necessity... Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. You know, that's an amazing passage of Scripture because I think that passage is saying this. That Paul was praising them for support. Paul was praising them for coming to his need. Paul was praising them for coming to his aid. And he said this, though. He says, not because I desire a gift. In other words, I'm not praising you because I desired a gift and you gave me a gift. He says, I'm praising you because I desire fruit given or fruit on your account. You know, I believe that when you send me to the Philippines, and financially it takes money to do that, that when I go and preach the gospel, and there are people that you have never seen before, there are people that you have never known, you don't know who they are, you don't know their names, you don't know what they look like, but they hear the gospel and the gospel is planted in their heart and God gives the increase and they're baptized into Christ, that there's going to be people in heaven one day that you have never met that are credited to your account because you gave to support the effort. That is something that all of us can do. In fact, the Bible says that this is proof of our love. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 8, Paul says that the things that are that he was speaking of was to prove the sincerity of their love and their liberality would prove that also this is done cheerfully because each has already been give, had given themselves to the Lord 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5 Paul says and this they did not as we hoped but first gave unto their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God we can give that way and do our part the next thing is our presence at services. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let me just say this. In case you didn't know, every single one that's here under the sound of my voice encourages me and everybody else when you're here. The singing is better. The service is better. The edification is better. It helps the preacher. It helps everyone. When we come together for services, we accomplish three things. One is we worship God, and God is to be worshipped. God is deserving of in, in every way of our service. That's first and foremost, and that ought to be enough. But there's more. We edify one another, we build each other up. And we are also edified. We are encouraged when all of us are here. When we assemble together with the saints. The third thing that we can do is do all that we can to restore those that have fallen. How many times have we said if we only had the people that were once enlightened by the gospel and have quit. If we just got them back. How many times have we said we'd have to build new buildings and so on? We wouldn't have a facility to house them and so forth. You know, I'll tell you something. One of the greatest ways to grow, and we've done that, by the way, in the past. One of the greatest ways to grow and to get things moving is to go and try to restore those that have fallen. What a great work that is. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Those that are spiritual is talking about faithful Christians. Not talking about somebody that's special or somebody that's separate or apart. It's talking about someone that is a faithful member of the church. Go and try to, uh, to restore such an one. It is the duty of every member of a congregation to actively work to try to restore the fallen. But notice, we do so with meekness, meaning without self-esteem, as if some misfortune could never happen to us. It's true in Matthew 18 and also in Luke 15, Jesus talked about the lost sheep. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep, he leaves the 90 and 99 to go find the one that has left. You remember in Luke 15, now whether this is one parable with three illustrations or three different parables, I don't know, but here's the point. The first thing he does is he talks about the lost sheep. And he says that the man leaves the 90 and 99 to go find the one that's wandered away. Then he talks about the woman with the lost coin. She sweeps the floor to look for the one coin that was carelessly lost. But then the third one though, he talks about the prodigal son, the one who has rebelliously left. Did you see that nobody ever went after that guy? Have you ever noticed that? Why didn't the father now, if there's even more so a picture of beauty, it's a picture of the father more than the son that left. It's a picture and a story about the forgiving father and the father that longs to forgive his child. Waiting back there, watching and waiting for the return of the one that left. But why didn't he go and go after the young son that left? Why didn't anybody go? I think that's different than somebody that just wandered away. That somebody that was carelessly lost, you know, sometimes a new member might slip through the cracks. Maybe they were struggling, and pretty soon we look around and we don't see them any longer. What are we gonna do? Hey, we better sweep that floor. We gotta find that coin. We gotta bring that one back. But what about that prodigal? What's different? What's different is this father knew. That it would do absolutely no good to try to stop the sun before the sun left. You know why? Because the heart was already gone. And you've heard me say this in the past, folks apostasy of heart will always precede apostasy of life. That's a fancy way of saying the heart goes first. And that's what happened. The heart was gone first, and this person went to see it. It's like this give you an example of a person like this. I am tired of doing what's taught. There's too many rules. I'm sick of the rules. I'm sick of all that. I'm tired of hearing about there are things in life that are wrong. I'm tired about having to give up things to be a Christian or a member of the church of Christ. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm going to turn my back and go and do whatever I want. You ever notice when somebody leaves like that, oftentimes they leave hateful, hateful in their heart, blaming someone else. That's when somebody leaves with a rebellious heart. Isn't that kind of what Paul was talking about in Hebrews 6? He said if somebody knows all this, they've been enlightened by all this, and they leave, they depart, they reject it after they know it. Now, we're not just talking about somebody that was weak and didn't know any better. we got to go teach them. We're talking about somebody that knows what the book says, but they leave anyway. I think that's what Paul's meaning when he says it's impossible to restore such an one. I like what Richard Goff says. Here's how he says it. Best way I've ever heard it, I think. He says, you can't restore them. they got to restore themselves. they got to come back to this. That's the only way. When you rebel, you've got to change your heart and get your heart going back in the proper direction. That's someone that leaves rebelliously. You know, I'll tell you something. We need to try to soften hearts, but I don't think to, just to a degree, you get to the point where there's nothing more you can do. How can we do that, though, to restore those that have fallen? Send a card. I appreciate so much folks that lately have sending cards to people that are out of duty. Sometimes people say, I don't know what to say. Just say this, we miss you. We want you back. Have you ever been angry because somebody says, you know, Darrell, I really miss you. You think he's going to get mad at me? You can't even hear those words and get angry. And if you say it with the right kind of heart and you really mean it, we love you and we miss you. How is anyone going to ever have a problem with that? We can talk to folks like that and do so with the spirit of meekness, meaning without self-esteem. Like, it could never happen to me. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If there's one thing we've all learned, it can happen to anybody. If there's one thing that we've learned in our short lifetime, anybody can fall. Anyone can make a mistake. Anyone can fall from grace. Another thing, too, that we can do is encourage the weak and discouraged. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. The word feeble-minded here does not mean those who are not mentally responsible. When it says feeble-minded, it doesn't, it's not talking about those that are not all there mentally. Feeble minded here means faint hearted, those that grow discouraged. Thayer says, These are the disciples who are inclined to be easily discouraged in the presence of a trial. Now, listen, we're all made up differently. There may be things that I can't handle that you can, there may be things that you could just go right through like it's nothing and it just kills me. Sometimes folks are more inclined to fall during a trial. Paul says, comfort those feeble-minded. Fight for those who can't fight for themselves. It is always gracious to have an attitude of patience and long-suffering too. You know, someone once said one time that, I love this. Listen to this. A word of encouragement during failure is worth more than a dictionary of praise after success. I don't know about you. Remember when we talk about the love languages? Mine's words of affirmation. I like to hear positive things. It's the way I'm made. Can't help it. And I I enjoy that. We all enjoy, though, hearing words of praise After we do something good, after a success, after victory, we love to hear words of praise. But as the poet said though, it's better to have a word of encouragement, just one word of encouragement during failure than a dictionary of praise after success. Another thing we can do is live a godly example of life in the community. Not long ago, we talked about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. We are the seasoning ability that keeps this world standing and keeps it palatable in the eyes of God, while his patient long suffering waits for those that are still lost, that have good hearts and would come to him. And Jesus says, We are lights and we are a city. We are a light. Take your light. Don't put it under a bushel. If you want to know what you really can do, you can do this without speaking one word. You can live the Christian life in the presence of man. You can live the Christian life in the world. You can have uh, the kind of life that shows that you're a Christian. And when people know that you are a certain way, and it's because you serve God, and because you are a child of God, then you are letting your light shine among men. Everyone can do that. But lastly, on this line, we can teach others by the Word, with the Word of God, when the opportunity arises. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, the Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. When we do this, future leaders of the church come. Elders in the future, preachers and teachers are being developed. I wanted to share something with you. I was very impressed with this because I don't remember At any point in time in my life, I don't ever remember hearing this to the degree that we heard it in Oklahoma at the New Year's meeting during the young men talks the last night. Somebody had set up, whoever it was that was uh, putting this together, had asked these men when they got up in the pulpit, before they gave their little five-minute talk, they were asked, would you say who you are, where you're from, and what are your spiritual goals long term for the future? Now, most of the time, when you get young men that are in the pulpit during these times, they say, I would like to be an evangelist. I would like to be a preacher. And there were those, too, that said that. They really were. And that's great. Because we need preachers. I'll tell you something. We need preachers bad. We need preachers bad, especially in this state. The Lord's Church needs preachers. But I'm going to tell you something. We need others, too. And you know what the, the most common thing that was spoken of these men as a goal it was over and over again I would like to be an elder one day I don't know that I've ever heard it that much any one time one after the other after the other a young man stands up great speaking ability he says I want to be an elder that's a wonderful thing the Lord's church needs leaders leaders Sometimes things go by the wayside because we don't have good, strong leadership. And I'm going to tell you this. This congregation is at peace, and this congregation has good leadership. That's a wonderful thing, working together for a common goal. It's not always like that. In conclusion, though, some fail to make the church stronger, like the man that was described in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he was boastful about a sin that wouldn't even have been named among the Gentiles. Paul said, purge out the old leaven because a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. Some are like diotrephes; They just want the preeminence. They just want the praise. They want the position of honor. Some are like Demas where Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, my Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. Some gossip, complain, and murmur, as Paul warned against in Philippians 2 and verse 14. And by so doing these things, they destroy the church instead of building it. You and I will give an account to how we provided for the strength of the church. The Lord's church is the greatest institution in all the world. It was blood-bought by Jesus. It's in our care. And I'm going to tell you something. We're going to give an account to how we built it up or did we tear it down? Did we build it up or tear it down? It's going to take all of us. It's going to take every single one of us working together for the common goal. Remember that the devil is going to do all he can to undermine our efforts. But remember this. Remember that the battle is the Lord's. The war is against the devil. If we'll just recognize what it is, we'll pull together and be stronger than we've ever been before and we'll move about in this world serving God the best we can. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at...